outside. What is that? Radio, everybody. This is Gunnar Monson. I am one of your hosts of Monstrex Radio. I am also the founder of the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Sasquatch Coffee, fuel your next adventure. You can check us out online at www.squatchcoffee.com. Um, next week, we're actually going to be switching over to www.sasquatchcoffee.com. Uh, that domain came up, and I was able to grab it, so look for it there. We're just getting ready to roll out actually monthly uh, subscriptions so you can get your coffee set up to automatically show up at your door delivered personally by our own uh, team of Sasquatches. So Sasquatch Coffee, <laughs> you know, it'll have it'll have guaranteed Bigfoot DNA, but no Sasquatches were harmed <laughs> in the making of this coffee. All right. <laughs> With me tonight, is my good friend Shane Corson. Shane, how are you? Doing fantastic, Gunner. Doing fantastic. I'm really stoked to have uh, Julie Ranch with us uh, this evening as well. Julie, how are you doing this uh, this fine evening? Oh, I'm doing great, guys. Glad to be on tonight. Got some good stuff to talk about. Awesome. Well, last week Shane and I uh, sat down and talked about some weird stuff that had happened to us while we're out actually doing Bigfoot research. Um, you can find part one in our archives. Um, and uh, if you haven't checked out, by the way, exclusive, you can, can go to our website, www.monsterxradio.com, and, and look up, uh, sign up for exclusive today. We just introduced, uh, you can get a whole year for 49 bucks, or you can pay by the month. It's just way cheaper to do it by the year. And you can find... Uh, We'll we'll be moving all our archive shows over there eventually. It's just a very long process. In the meantime, you can find them on Blog Talk. So today, last week we were talking about weird, interesting experiences from out Bigfooting, and we wanted to get Julie on, and uh, she's had some uh, interesting stuff going on in near where she's living now in North Carolina, and she has shared that in a field report inside of Exclusive. But she has some updates for that, and uh, we want to – Julie, you've been doing some – actually a relatively short period of time, but, but you've been a, a very active field investigator. What, uh, what are some weird things that have, have happened, you know, during that time? Well, prior to moving to North Carolina, I actually lived in Ohio, which is the other Bigfoot state. <laughs> There's a lot of no things kidding. that go on up yeah. Um, so we were we we had our camper out one night and some uh, a rural area, 
in Ohio and you know near a lot of woods and we had heard that there was activity in the area so we spent the day out in the woods checking things out um you know looking for any type of evidence prints broken branches anything that would say that a large creature had been going through there so, you know, we found some branches that were broken and, and this and that, but nothing that screamed, hey, you know, there's a Sasquatch out here. So I was like, well, maybe better luck next time. So Jeff had to go back into town. So he, he took off in the truck, and I just stayed at the camper that night. So I started this fire, and I'm sitting out there by the fire by myself. Nobody's around. All of a sudden, I got this very odd, strange feeling that I was being watched. Not sure why. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. It hit me so hard that I started getting tears in my eyes. My heart started racing, and I was struck with terror. I could barely move. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. All I know is that it, it, it felt really odd all of a sudden out there. So I got into the camper and I called my son and I was like, man, there's something out there. I don't know what, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel there's something out there. And I mean, I made him talk to me for like an hour and I was scared to death out there. Um, so I finally calmed down and I went to bed and next morning I went out and I was looking, um, around, you know, outside the camper and stuff to just see if anything had happened overnight and, you know. Well, there's this huge pile of leaves behind the camper and it, down at the bottom of the, there's a little steep hill and down at the bottom of that, it was a ravine with some, uh, some creeks and, you know, there was a creek that, there was two different creeks that cr crisscrossed down there and there was three sets of tracks that came up the side of that hill and went through the leaf pile and along the back side of my camper and then back out into the woods. And one of the tracks was 16 inches long and it completely blew my mind because whatever that was came up by the camper while I was in there by myself asleep. And it was like, uh, it's, I'm still, it still bothers me. Um, it was like the 16 inch print and then there was a 14 inch print and then there was an eight inch print and it was all like beside each other. It, it, it just terrified Ooh. me because I'm like, what, what could have, you know, who comes walking up the side of a ravine in the middle of the night in the woods of Ohio with no flashlights or anything, barefooted. I, I don't know. I mean you could see wow. you could see the toes and the, the leaves. It was the weight of whatever it was was so deep that you could actually see toe impressions through these leaf piles. It blew my mind. Needless to say, I never went back out there by myself camping <laughs> again. <laughs> but it just um uh, you know, because I've heard people say, well, I got this really odd feeling. And 
before I used to discount that a lot because I'm like, yeah, well, you're out in the woods and you're by yourself and you, you hear things and your eyes play tricks. But after that night, I'm like, um, I, I really pay more attention to when people say they have a particular feeling and they got a feeling of terror or fear and they're not sure why. Now I know why. But I would say that was probably the most bizarre thing that that happened because, you know, nothing nothing made me trigger to feel that way. I, mean, I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I didn't smell anything. I just all of a sudden, boom, felt terror. So I, I've heard Weird. people talk about that. And now I know mm-hmm. that it, it, you know, it happened to me and I was the world's biggest skeptic until all that happened. Yeah, that's um, crazy, Julie. That's really crazy. You know, Ohio is one of those states. It's one of the top, uh, as far as numbers go, for Bigfoot sightings and Bigfoot encounters in the country. It's like in the top three. And uh, I'm not surprised that uh, you possibly had an encounter with a Sasquatch. Uh, what's interesting to me is that, you you know, you, do you think you, um, you know, we toss this around as an idea uh, that Sasquatch may be capable of, of uh, infrasound. I mean, do you think possibly that's what you encountered? Or, you know, you just got that sixth sense, you know, which is out there. I really believe in it where, you, you know, you, you know, you hit that wall and it, that wall tone, you turn around. What did you experience exactly? Well, I think um... – I think it could be the the built-in part of the humans that say there's a predator nearby that we got from evolution, <laughs> because I think that still remains. Um, and I think I was picking up on that, and I don't know how close something might have been, um, but what I'm thinking is, and I I hate to think this because it just really freaks me out, but when we were out there during the day, and then, you know, we headed back and it was starting to get dark. What if something followed us to see what we were up to? You know there's a lot, of, lot of, yeah, there's a lot of encounter stories that where it seems like, you know, curiosity is a factor of, of the encounter. So, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you're, you're the entertainment. You right. Know, and and I had the fire, come, you know. Right, yeah, and I had the fight, and by. I've had people tell me that that they will um, actually kind of belly crawl at a distance from too, you, yeah. yeah, just to watch you. So, yeah. um, oh. I didn't stick around the next day. You know, Jeff came back, got me, and and we got the camper and got out of there. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not going back in there to look for anything because I was terrified. I mean, I was literally in tears on the phone with my son. It was it was really uh, the most frightening thing that's ever happened to me, and I don't know why because I didn't see anything. But then yeah. the prince up in that—I mean, it, right behind my camper, you know—the huge piles of leaves back there, and you could see where the whatever they were or whoever they were was dragging those leaves up out of that big pile. You know, like imagine someone that weighed five, 600 pounds slashing through some leaf piles and dragging them along with them. You know, you could see huge disturbances and the, the stride was just like four and a half, five foot strides in some of the areas. And I, I mean, I just, it, it blew my mind. 
Yeah. Um, two things on that, Julie. One is back in 2011 when I had my encounter with my two buddies, I we were in a very remote area, I mean a pretty fairly remote area, but we had traversed all over the place up uh, mountains and through glens and everything else. And I truly believe uh, the reason that we had this two-night experience was that we had gone through an area where, where, the, where the Sasquatch were, whether they were uh, you know, hunkering down for a couple of days or that was their terrain or whatever have you, but they followed us back two nights in a row to get us out of there. I mean, I really do believe that was a part of it, and maybe that's something that, something that uh, you had walked into, and they were coming back to see what the heck that was about. And as far as the bear, belly crawling goes, you know, that's uh, a sort of behavior that's reported time and time again. You know, Barcatino out of California when he had his encounter uh, up in Washington here where he saw Sasquatch. He saw it get down, you know, it was down low at one point, almost mm-hmm. on his third. belly. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. that's reported time and time again. There's even some interesting uh, FLIR footage out there you can find on YouTube somewhere where there's it appears to be a Sasquatch on the side. But that's reported a lot, and it's kind of creepy when you think about it because, you know, as researchers and just even people out hiking and whatnot, you know, um, it, that's not something, you know, if you're trying to hide and conceal yourself, you're not going to, if you're seven foot tall or whatever have you, standing up, you might be seen. But if you're down low, like a bear or anything else, it's very hard to see. Most researchers, when they're out in the field, are always looking, you know, for this, this creature standing up, and, and they're probably missing a lot when it's probably down low most mm-hmm. of the time. Right, and you got to think about the military tactics, um, old school military tactics. A lot of that was belly crawl. You know, and and for days at a time, and make very short, small movements at a time, so you're not detected. You know, and, and it's a lot different than something huge come crashing and walking through the woods. You can hear that, but if something wanted to get close to you, and didn't want you to know it was there, that would be a pretty good way of doing it. And concealing your tracks. I mean, if you're on all fours or down low, you're not going to always right. see, uh, you know, that footprint that you're looking for. In fact, you might, you may not even recognize a scuff mark for what it really was or is. Uh, and I, I often think that's the case why we don't get more tracks or why people go, how come there's only one track? Well, that, have, are, do you know what you're looking for? And how do you know that Sasquatch didn't get down on all fours or you know whatever have you? I mean, it's just it, that's mm-hmm. just food for thought that I, you know, I put into my research now i'm looking for every little detail and you may have just experienced something like that yeah and and that that kind of got me uh more open-minded about other people's stories so um and then we had this great idea about moving to the uari (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah so over a year ago we decided we're going to move back to where um I was born and where most of my family's from, you know, they, they moved there in 1765 and we're still there. Um, so we go, uh, by this farm on the outer edge of the Uwari and for the, I don't know, for several months I was hearing some really odd stuff, but I was just like, <clears throat> you know, we just moved there. So I, I wasn't sure what the noises were normal and what weren't. And, you know, there's farms around there, there's animals. So, I didn't really get too excited about it, but I kept hearing some of the same noises over and over that were really peculiar. Finally, I I thought, you know, I'm going to send some of this to David Elvis from the Olympic Project who analyzes audio, and he does a bang-up job. He's just super, you know, gives his time freely. 
So I sent him some, and I, I honestly was waiting for him to tell me, oh, it's just a coyote or dogs, you know, and and uh, <clears throat> put my mind at ease. But that isn't at all what what he found. So after I got those uh, audio clips back, I decided I was going to leave a recorder out because, I mean, this stuff happens frequently out there. And I got 13 hours of audio. I sent it to David, and uh, I don't even know how many clips he sent me back. Jeez, I'm over 20, 20 clips of, of things of interest. Um, some of it sounded like a primate banging on its chest. Some of it sounded like, I don't know, wood knocks, um, un, unusual sounds, huffing, growling, Whoops, howls, yells. Um, so I did a field report that was on the exclusive side of the house um, and then the, the exclusive Facebook page that we have for the members. And I'm getting ready to put another one together to include a bunch of the audio just so people can give me their opinion of what they think that might be. But I can tell you there's some sounds in there that I've never heard. And even David's like, well, this is a head scratcher here. Not sure what this would be, but it's like, almost sounds like something playing the drums. It's just yeah. weird. Yeah. I mean, and you've shared some of those with us, and I, there's some pretty interesting audio. Uh, and, of course, we always talk about, you know, audio is so ambiguous, but there is a database to compare, you know, known sounds to... Mm-hmm. Unknown, and then you get a, a interesting, and some of that stuff is is really falls into the interesting category. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, and uh, even with my ear, I can hear that there's things things going on and in, in there that's different because it's almost like clockwork between the hours of nine and eleven, all hell breaks loose out there, and there's a pattern of where these sounds go. And it always ends up over at the this big pond on the west side of her property. Um, so yeah, that that's it's been kind of mind mind boggling. And like I said on a couple shows before, unfortunately, you can't just go walking into the woods around there because people own that stuff, and you know, get your butt shot doing that. So um, we we're coming up with some ideas that we we might be able to do that will at least get us closer to where some of those sounds are coming from because there are a couple roads and a couple dirt roads that track through there. So what we're going to do is utilize those so we could try to get as close as we can. And um, I'm looking to purchase uh, some night vision binoculars that can see up to a thousand feet. So I think that might help. Come on, Julie, take one for the team. Just trespass. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you're going to come see me in the hospital Kevlar (laughs) right bulletproof clothing for your your new swatching accessory that's right and and I think everybody thinks you know well why and that's that's good because you answer that question as well if you know where the the sound is coming from well first of all not everybody is inclined to run towards what they think might be a dangerous animal. Um, mm-hmm. A couple, couple right. weeks ago, I interviewed um, 
Kyle Gibson and Montra Freitas about uh, an, in- an encounter of sorts that they had up in Washington where they got some interesting pictures. Not of, You can find them on in the Facebook group, but it's not definitive. And it, and, uh, but her inclination was actually to go towards what it was. And Kyle actually stopped her because, um, because of the weather conditions, the snow was seven feet, you know, deep. And all of a sudden she was in the direction of, uh, continued the direction she wanted to, you know, she would have, she would, it would have been a rescue mission instead of, uh, yeah. I mean, you gotta be smart about these things. We all want mm-hmm. the answers, but you got to be smart about it. Um, number one, I don't want shot. Number two, I don't want the law showing up and, you know, writing me a nice trespassing ticket. Um, so, but, you know, like I said, we have some ideas about some things that we're going to do to get us closer to where those sounds are coming from. Um, so I'm, I'll keep everyone posted, and uh, hopefully I'll get my report together we're still on vacation i'm still at the beach but we're going home for about five days and then we're going to come back but hopefully when i'm home in those five days i can go ahead and get that report wrote and get some of those audio clips in the in the exclusive group yeah so if you want to keep uh up on what's uh the latest going on with julie's activity there in north carolina the best way to hear about it is to join exclusive and uh we're getting ready. I, I'm actually going through my – I have a, a little Sony audio recorder that has gone with me pretty much every time that I've gone out with the Tilma group, and uh, and it's got some interesting things. When I start going back, I'm like, wow, that's – some of it I think is, uh, uh, you know, explainable stuff. There's a an incident on there with Larry and I where I'm pretty sure we're listening to owls, but at the time it was like a little – less you know we were a little less clear about it but uh and uh but the incident where we think a rock was thrown in our direction is on there i call it the crash you know some other weird screams the whistle that i talk about on the show so Mm -hmm. um yeah very uh uh, interesting And, and those are things i'm i'm going to pull out and and put into exclusive so that the members can basically put one of the cool things that we're wanting to do is, is, uh, create a, uh, a Bigfoot, uh, lounge, if you will. So we can, you know, go in there and, and chat with people that are really interested in, in, uh, Bigfoot and, and share a common perspective or, or clones, but, but people that are looking at it from, not from the paranormal side necessarily, from um, from the, a scientific and what what we can document and right. and we're putting you know so with some of the the bonus content and they're like Bigfoot biometrics and and the field research it actually gives us a chance to you know talk to people and and take people with us out into the field. We're uh, working on you know doing more video stuff too because it's. Uh, and I can tell you, tell you that if you know you see video stuff from Monster X, it's not going to be pictures of of shadows. And and if you know if I if I show share a picture, it's going to be really clear about what it is. So and we've had you know I've I've found ambiguous stuff 
when we were going back, um, Shane, Shane, you and I showed up. Remember the, when Larry had his uh, sighting up there in, in the Tomac Forest? The three of us showed up, I think, the day after Larry had had his sighting. And yeah. uh, I found a very large impression down by the creek down there that it, I mean, obviously it, it looked like it was shaped like a foot. All the uh, uh, ground debris was missing from that where the shape was. It would, and but but a single one looked weird in an area that has uh, that was has uh, had some weird stuff happen. Um, and I I think we should that that leads us back into the uh, discussion of weird stuff that happened to you and I in, in uh, when we've been out bigfooting. One of the weirdest things was something that happened um, when Retman Mollis was up there with us. And a bunch of us were camped. We were camped in what we call Far East Camp, and um, they had actually put put a straw down to do that for for erosion purposes. And uh, you and Larry were camped at the forest um, point, and then Red and I and uh, I believe it's Greg, who's a friend of Red's, and a member of the Tilma group from up in Washington that comes down periodically. And we were camped on there. That was that morning. Uh, the next morning after this happened was the first time I ever heard the definitive tree knock. About 5:30 in the morning, I wake up and I'm laying in my tent, and I hear that it sounded like a tree knock, like something like wood, like a bat hitting a tree. And like it, it got my attention. And one of the interesting things is when we all got up and and came together. Um, somebody else had heard a similar um, sound, and I believe it was you. It was. Gone down, yeah, so you guys were probably 300 yards down the the road from us, and in yeah. the, and it was interesting with you know without talking beforehand, it was within the I think it was close to the same time frame even, so it seemed like there was a connection. Yeah, I totally agree. I was it was odd because you had uh not knowingly uh, you had had heard a uh, a solid wood knock, you know, strike sound uh, like you said. And and what I had heard was very similar from a different direction. Almost like a return knock. I didn't hear the knock you had heard. I think it was Yeah, and I didn't hear ours either. <laughs> yeah, by a few minutes or so and it was a solid once again in that area we've had I've heard four to five knocks I consider very suspicious. Uh, you know, we talked about um, two last week. They included something we throw in our camp and some very ape-like sounds. But the uh, tree knock I had heard was from a different direction, and it was very loud. And, and let me be upfront and honest here. There, I mean, there was no other uh, Bigfooters in this area, uh, no reason for people to be knocking on trees, especially in that, that time of morning. It was early morning. And it wasn't chopping firewood or anything like that. This, these were solid tree knocks. Um, and it was kind of a, interesting because we had some interesting things happen that weekend, you know, around our tents and whatnot. That was interesting when we departed and, and were hiking around. Yeah, no, when I don't want to steal your thunder because that the, one of the most interesting things was when we, we had all been down in a campground and had dinner and stuff. And when we came back, there was one, um, it, it looked like some of the firewood and stuff had been moved around. So, um, and uh, 
Greg, there had been some sticks in front of Greg's tent that were just laying there that were, and I, I don't, this, this one tripped me out because they, they looked like they were woven together. I mean, it was weird. They were endless, like square, square pattern in front, right in front of his tent. Uh, and it, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but then we went down and, and I checked out where you and Larry were and what did we find? Well, the, the interesting thing was, you know, I always make sure my tent zipped up mainly because I don't want bugs in my tent. And uh, we that time of year, you know, there's um, all sorts of bugs and flies out. And, you know, you get rodents in the area that will crawl into your tent to be a little bit open. So, um, uh, and, you know, I, I want to make a bear work for his core if he's trying to get in my tent. So I zip it up. <laughs> Anyways, I come back and my tent was slightly unzipped. Um uh, well, actually, it was uh, more than slightly unzipped. It was unzipped to the point where somebody could actually get in there. My sleeping bag was turned over, and beside my tent on the outside, there was this straw that seemed to have been scooped up. It was nice. It was flat when we had left. So I would always check out my campsite. And when we got back, it was kind of scooped up, almost like two hands had scooped them into a little pile. The other interesting of note, uh, thing of note that I kind of left out there was the zipper next to my or on my tent on the canvas part there was it was muddy and wet and i didn't leave it that way something or somebody had been messing with my tent at some point with with uh you know and i didn't see any that that ground wasn't very conducive for uh, impressions uh, so I, there was no i, I didn't could make out any tracks uh the fact that there was something you know there was wet mud on my zipper and the canvas was interesting you know i obviously can't say this was anything to do with sasquatch just the whole the whole experience that that weekend was very interesting. Uh, you know, were we in between something? Did, did Sasquatch come check us out? I don't know. Um, I don't believe we got a whole lot of audio that weekend. But I mean, just the events themselves, given the two campsites and what we witnessed in person, I thought was really interesting. You know, and it's an area that we don't usually, quite honestly, camp in. It's a different area. We usually have our hub camp. Uh, this time we decided to venture out a little ways and get outside. Uh, kind of uh, throw maybe our quarry, uh, our target species for uh, for a loop, and we did that. And you know maybe we were the ones throwing for a loop because it was just kind of weird and odd all around. Yeah, that, that was that was an interesting weekend. And one of the the other uh, interesting things about that is is that was prior to Larry's sighting. And when Larry had the sighting, I went. Um, online and looked at Google Maps, and Larry's sighting was, like, within 800 feet of where that that campsite was. So, And there's a right. creek that runs down in the middle down there, and and I've just, I mean, I've, I, I've had this inclination, this inkling that that, that creek that runs um, north-south, generally speaking, uh, but uh, it uh, heads down to to the highest peak in that area. And I've just got this gut feeling about that peak um, because it seems like su- to subsequent to to that uh, sighting, there was another sighting like within 100 yards of where Larry had his going in and out. And I believe uh, that one was headed also towards that creek area. Um, Correct, yeah. But so, and it's, so that was really, really bizarre. Um and it, you know, a lot of coincidence. And then, again, it's corroborating evidence, and and uh, by no means, I and I've said this time and time again is I've had a lot of weird stuff happen in the Tillamook area 
Um, but I can not definitively say that, that any of it was Bigfoot. It just, there's right. stuff that, I, you know, extremely weird howls. The very first time that, that I went to the area, um, when uh, I first met Larry and uh, Cindy Cadell had invited me to up there for the weekend and, and she came and she brought her grandson um, and um, and then it was Larry and I and we had two hours of howls and whoops and and all manner of like classic Bigfoot audio vocalization stuff that that went started you know east of camp and a, a ways east and then moved through the south and then at at uh, just about straight up midnight uh, there was a whole bunch of racket and what sounded like something chattering um, and then silence and and to this day Larry, I mean we speculate about what what could have been you know because you, you got an animal moving through the forest at night making a bunch of noise what is it doing I mean what there's a purpose they're not just you know it's not they're not throwing a party so it's we 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 um, postulate that it might that we might have been listening to a hunt taking place, and that uh, you know we refer to it as the crescendo, the big ending, was uh, when when they taught something. And I imagine if I heard those noises, I was a deer per se, being pursued by that noise through the woods. I'd, I'd uh, <laughs> keep moving away, and you know, and there's been com- you know conversations. People talk about. Uh, hunting techniques and how the uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch may utilize choke points and, and other, you know, known animals do that. So I, I'm of the opinion and it's only an opinion because that's 99.9% of what we have in Bigfooting is opinions. And uh, is that, that we're talking about the smartest, you know, animal in the forest. So, to think that they wouldn't, you know, they would utilize um, more sophisticated hunting techniques than, say, any other animal out there, at least as sophisticated. So, right. Plus, you think and, about what, and what they're go ahead, what they're physically able to do. Yeah, exactly. And and, and to talk a little bit about that area, you have uh, quite a few major rivers coming through the Tillamook area. You have the Trask, you have the Wilson River, you have the Miami. Not too far away. I mean, you keep going to Stucca and the Halem. You got a bunch of confluence of the rivers in that area. You got the coastal range right there where Sasquatch, even in the Tillamook area, Garibaldi, uh, all the way south. Um, you got an absolute ton of Sasquatch sightings on the coast and inland uh, via, you know, towards Tillamook. It dates back to, you know, the Indians, Native Americans, and then the Halem tribe specifically talking about Sasquatch, seeing Sasquatch and Sasquatch taking their their um, salmon uh, catches right off the lines and the highway six there that separates you know a lot of this area all the way down to the coast uh, there's been a lot of sightings of road cross sightings in fact there was one that you were you had heard of and reported back to me gunner about um, a female driving towards Tillamook and a truck driver coming up towards you know uh, towards you know Portland and um they had both were came to a stop in the middle of the road because this thing was walking across the road. It had its hand on this truck driver's hood, like a semi truck, 
he'd probably come to a screeching halt. And she described it, at first she thought it was a bear and realized it was not a bear. It was what you know people describe as a Bigfoot. Do you remember that report? Oh yeah, the the uh, it was weird because I I owned a grocery store for a bunch of years, and uh, everybody's aware that that uh, I was very open about you know my interest in Bigfoot and had people come in and share stuff with me from time to time and and uh, the. This guy comes in and says, "Yeah, I'm really mad at my mom. She had a Bigfoot sighting and she didn't tell us about it till later." And I like, "Oh, you're the one that wrote reported your mom's encounter um, because I someone had told me about it that there was uh, an encounter online." And uh, he said, "No, it must have been my my brother." I think he said, and uh, so I I actually tried to get him, him. I wanted to talk to his mom. I would have really liked to talk to the truck driver. Um, but was never able to track down all the, the moving parts. But, yeah, that was a pretty interesting uh, report. There's just several. Um, there's, you know, obviously one of the, the best data or most complete databases are is the BFRO's report database. And there's there's one from the other end of, of uh, Highway 6 from umpteen years ago where, where something had crossed the uh, highway behind somebody had driven by and they looked in their rearview mirror and said they saw Bigfoot cross the road back up uh, on the other end. And then there's there's other reports sprinkled throughout that, he said, that area. One of the, like, interesting reports, or it wasn't wasn't actually a Bigfoot report, but uh, probably 15, 20 years ago, the local paper here, the Headlight Herald, out of Tillamook, used to have the police logs in there and there was a police log uh, in there about a giant hairy naked man being sighted uh, walking in the rain out in the cow fields uh, in Tillamook and it, when I went and looked at um, where that road was it was the road the road that it took place was on was at the foothills of the coast range so it was very uh, interesting yeah yeah, and, and we've investigated other reports. Uh, uh, towards the Miami, there was one that uh, I got a call from you about a, a gentleman uh, that you were going to meet with, and he invited me out there to, to investigate this report where a guy was driving uh, fairly close. I mean, he w- wasn't right on the Miami River down there in Tillamook, but it was it was in an adjacent area where this guy was coming around a corner, and he's looking up in this clear cut, this really kind of um, strenuous-looking clear cut of a hill, and he sees – this dark figure hauling bud up this hill, and I forgive me if I'm wrong, Gunnar. I could be wrong, but I thought it the, the figure turned back and looked at him and then carried on. I could be mistaken. It's been a number of years, but he he described this thing as hairy. It looked like a Bigfoot. It it, it went up this hill in no time. We went out and investigated this, uh, and I actually came. I went up the hill and down the hill. Uh, he said this thing went up this hill in a matter of, like, I don't even know what it was, minutes if not seconds. And it took me 10, 15 minutes to work my way up this hillside because of the amount of um, stumps and debris. And I was like, wow, well, that could not have been a human going up there, even just based off the guy's description. It didn't fit being a human. But just traversing up that hill, I was kind of blown away. I get halfway up the hill, and I noticed in the general spot where this thing was supposedly seen, a – a tree, a sapling, a small tree sapling, one they had replanted, reprod, and it had been 
uh, spun in a circle uh, because the dirt around the base was void. It was missing, and you could see where something had grabbed it and was like almost trying to re- like slowly spin it around and pull it out. I thought that was interesting because there would seem to be some flat impressions there. Something had stood there regardless of the human or whatnot. Didn't see any claw marks. I get further up the hill I, and go over the hill, and there I did find some interesting impressions. You know, they were more scuff mark impressions, but they were interesting based on what the guy was describing. And so that's just another report in that area, general vicinity of the Tillamook Forest, um, that was interesting. And there's been plenty more. I mean, that there was another one where a guy, we actually met with him and had breakfast with him, where he had come across, he'd been hiking, he'd passed a certain area with a little embankment. On his way back, he had noticed, um, I think within, it was in 25, 30 minutes or so, he had noticed that there was a, in a, a really awesome impression, uh, I believe going down the slope there, that wasn't there before. And it was one of the best uh, picture impressions I had ever seen. And this guy was, you know, probably in his 80s, uh, you know, just a guy out for a walk. Uh, that was another interesting uh, report uh, with evidence via photograph from that area that I thought was just really compelling and interesting. So there he's got a lot. We've had a lot of things happen uh, amongst ourselves. We've, we've done a lot of historical review. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, what a fantastic area. But let's let's switch gears, uh, Gunnar. I know we were talking before the show about some of the things that have had transpired up in the Olympics. We haven't really even touched upon the Olympics yet. No, I mean, it's, uh, we and I could still go on about, you know, the Oregon area. Um, I've been to, you know, my – I've been up to Washington uh, on BFRO expeditions. My first BFRO expedition was up in the area of Skookum um, prior to the Skookum cast being, being, uh, you know, being uh, gathered, but uh, nothing happened that was squatchy at that time. But I used, I also, as a member of the BFRO used to go on, there was a a few expeditions up in um, the very North part of, of uh, Washington uh, the Olympics outside of uh, the little town there of Joyce, which has a very interesting report of its own. If you, you I believe it's on the BFRO website about two Bigfoots uh, wrestling basically and coming out, crossing the road, fighting and going up off into the the mountains, which is the Olympics. Um, but a couple of, uh, I, I attended uh, three, maybe four expeditions or gatherings up in that area, and some weird stuff happened. Um, one of the weird things was that the gal I was dating at the time actually stayed in some cabins um, at a resort there on Crescent Lake, which has a history of of Bigfoot sightings and stuff. And she stayed. I, I was camping down in a in another area with with the Bigfooters, and she stayed in this cabin. And uh, actually, when I I picked her up the next day. In the middle of the night, she'd been woken up by uh, this really rancid stink that was coming in through the windows, and she was in uh, was staying in a cabin that was uh, right next to this apple orchard where they'd had um, Bigfoot sightings. So that was, of course, I'm down, you know, camped out looking for Bigfoot, and Bigfoot is, in theory, Bigfoot is uh, hanging out somewhere else. Yeah. But but one of my uh, you know, we ran out of time. I last one of my most interesting things that has happened was up there in one of those BFRO expeditions, and it was the last night that uh, of the expedition, and and uh, we 
and everybody we'd been out and everybody came back together and and there everybody wanted to do a walk but there was a fire and somebody needed to stay and watch the fire so I volunteered to do that um on a little side note I had when I first uh, got up there I went into to Port Angeles there and and bought a uh monkey uh that that made chimp sounds um when I just for fun, and when I when I brought it back to camp, one of the guys, I think it was Matt Pruitt, uh, who's a kick in the pants to be out in the woods with, uh, and uh, showed me this video of uh, on YouTube. Amazingly, we had some internet access there of when uh, a, a gorilla researcher had decided had come up got come into possession of a of an orphaned gorilla baby gorilla and had taken it to this with him to this uh group of gorillas that he had uh habituated, quote unquote. And uh the response of the alpha male was to freak out. And um uh, so I'm sitting so I'm sitting there, so back to the the fire and everybody leaves and I'm sitting there with that little monkey thing and it it makes starts making that noise. I'm thinking, Oh great, now's you know, now's when Bigfoot's gonna show up and think I stole its baby. But uh it was it was really strange is when the group was leaving, there was like a really loud owl at the end of camp, and that, that it was interesting. And but you know, just be note of it. And everybody left. And um, after a while, uh, these two guys, I think they drove back into camp. And right as they got close to camp, there was a single hoot like an owl, and they're like interesting. So we're sitting around the fire and and BSing and and uh, one of the guys is hearing movement in the brush and and that and and uh, there's a oh, actually an old car at the end of the camp that's laying in the brush and and something dings off the car like like a rock hitting it that's what it sounded like <clears throat> well it, there was a big huge kitchen camp set up. And uh, the one guy, Walt, got up to go get something out of his cooler, and I decided to go walk back towards this dark corner where, um, interestingly, the grass had been, in a couple mornings, the grass had been mashed down, which didn't mean anything, but it was weird because that meant somebody had mashed it down and and, uh, nobody uh, claimed to have done it. So anyway, I, I had a glow stick with me, and I I broke the glow stick and threw it back into this dark corner, and nothing happened. And for some reason, I just got the impulse to take, like, two quick steps towards the corner. And when I did, something moved in in the brush. Now, it's saying it's big, but, but my impression at the time, and I came home and tested it, was that whatever it was, it sounded like, like the point of fork, you know, uh, four points of contact, like elbows and knees. It just sounded like doo 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 doo, and the brush moved, and and I I probably crapped myself because I like I was not <laughs> expecting it. Um, I jumped back and I like, and no more. And I mean, it just uh, it was back in where it was heavy brush, so I don't I don't know what it was, but it was interesting that something had been hanging out there, and that that was a I, again. Was a Bigfoot? Was it a you know little Bigfoot hanging out back there? I don't know what it was, it, but it was very odd. 
Yeah, I'd say so. You know, in that area, that whole Crescent Lake area that Joyce, uh, uh, just the Olympics, uh, just outside Port Angeles, that whole area, once again, has this uh, ridiculous amount of reports. And, and still to this day, we've experienced a lot of stuff up in that area. There was a report on the other side of Lake Crescent from the highway there of uh, a family on vacation uh, driving around the lake, and they were coming up to a campground. They pulled over to basically enjoy the view, get some fresh air, and they had noticed off to the side that uh, they, they thought what they thought at the time was two bears fighting, two smaller maybe cubs fighting. And as they watched them, they realized that these weren't cubs. These were two little hairy beings kind of playing around. And they, you know, went length as to the description, which fits juvenile or, you know, smaller Sasquatches. And the, these two took notice, these two individuals, the, the Sasquatch, uh, took notice of the people and took off running. Uh, the interesting part was that I believe they, they took off in all fours uh, and, and scurried out of there. But they got a great uh, view of these two individuals that were preoccupied uh, with, with uh, um, you know, amongst themselves, you know, playing around and that area on the backside is pretty remote i mean you go to the there's nothing but woods back there uh, i know we were talking earlier as well gunner about um uh, another report from the area of, of two two what i think were males that had crossed the highway or actually tumbled across correct mm-hmm. yeah right there by the the behind the grocery store there and i went back and checked that out and it does exist there's this fairly substantial grove of trees at least it did you know, 10 years ago, but, uh, yeah. And then supposedly they, there was all this ruckus in the, this grove of trees and, and people came to see, and it ended up being these two Bigfoot fighting and, uh, which carried on across the highway and up into the mountains. So, and that's, that, I mean, that's right in downtown, if you can call it downtown, uh, Joyce, Washington. So, you know, if you right. blink, it's yeah. one of those. There's, there's not much in Joyce, but it is. A there really isn't. Very squatchy area. It is a very squatchy area. You know, I uh, a number of years ago, uh, we had an Olympic project expedition up there, um, off the property um, outside that area, and we were doing one of our night um, hikes. Uh, we had two groups. One group was with Derek Randalls and myself, and the other group was with uh, David Ellis and David Ellis was going to be at the, the bottom of this um, clear cut and uh, we were going to be up on the hill and he was going to call blast I believe the time he was call blasting and, and I don't remember specifically it was either elephant calls or whale calls I think it was whale calls you know I mean just weird stuff just call blasting and we're not big about doing that but it was just an experiment uh, doing this call blasting and we as we were up on the hill we could we were therming uh, David Ellis and his group down below. Uh, they were you know 300 yards or so, and we were therming the whole area to see if you know we got any responses or picked up any heat signatures. And indeed we did. Uh, of course that night uh, it was one of those nights where it was kind of a, a warm muggy night and the uh, mosquitoes were out in full force. It was nuts. You know you're smacking your face. You're trying to hold the flare. Well we did pick up um, a heat signature and it was. Um, Several hundred yards away from, uh, well, not several, a couple, eh, a couple hundred yards away from David Ellis and his group, uh, up on this other hill uh, adjacent to them, we picked up this heat signature, and it looked to be, um, you know, given the distance, 
it was kind of a blob at first, but then we noticed what seemed to be an arm um, reach up onto the tree, and then we're like, Derek's like, whoa, and we both had flares on us. His recorded, his was capable of recording, mine was not. So I pan in and I see this thing, and I said, "Wow, yeah, there's some, there's definitely uh, a living entity down there." So we radioed it back and said, "Hey, is anybody in in the tree line or off the tree line up on this hill? Nobody was down there, and it didn't really fit anybody because this thing seemed to be massive. And as we're watching it, it's it's fidgeting, it's moving around, and then all of a sudden a second figure appears, much smaller, thinner, but also seemed to be possibly bipedal." And it was moving around, and we were watching this, and we do have this actually uh, recorded. I mean, it is um, – it's, it's still ambiguous because it was so far away. Of course, you know, we're, we're of the approach that, you know, let's not just film it. Let's, you know, figure out what we're looking at and approach it. So as we're watching it and we got the target on our FLIR, uh, David Ellis has two individuals approach, you know, head that direction. Well, the smaller one went down and then back up and around and disappeared. And then a little bit later, as uh, David's group approached this second individual, it disappeared as well. Uh, both disappeared. And we've tried to roll out everything from elk. There's about a, a there's a herd of about 40 elk up in this area. This didn't match elk or deer. Uh, whatever it was appeared to be bipedal, appeared to have an arm. And just it, it's, uh, it seemed to be almost um, watching um, possibly David's group. We were at quite a distance up on the hill. I don't think you could see us. Um, and uh, that was just a really interesting event when we approached it, you know. And so we did go back and recreate it. We had uh, Josiah Bernard uh, as a, and he's a, you know, a, a really large individual, and I believe Abigail, his wife, joined him, and she's a much smaller individual. And the larger figure that we had uh, filmed on the FLIR was much larger than Josiah. And Josiah is what about six three? He's a former special. Um, uh, Special forces individual, very built, very muscular, and he paled in comparison to this thing. He's, yeah. And uh, he's got yeah, a, and, he's got and, to run two fifty. He's got to run two fifty, two sixty. I mean, he's a oh, big he's, guy. Yeah, he's yeah. a big guy. And this thing, he paled in comparison. And the interesting thing was, he much he he was closer in size to the smaller individual that we took to be rather thin, you know, compared to this larger individual. And it was their behavior, how they moved around, which is really odd. Um, and uh, we. We, we didn't find any impressions or anything, but uh, that was a really interesting flare footage to me, given the history of that area. Um, you know, it could have been Sasquatch, you know, quite possibly, in my opinion, but, you know, I, I, can't, I can't say definitively. So that's just another example. Um, you know, we recorded tons of vocals up in this area. David Ellis has hours of really unique recordings from this area. In fact, one was I, on our last expedition last year, recorded a long, almost Ohio-like howl. If you're familiar with the Ohio howl, you can look it up online. It's a pretty infamous uh, audio recording that uh, many associate with possibly in a Sasquatch. We recorded something very similar up there in the Olympics that was long-winded. Uh, it didn't really match human uh, visually on a spectrograph. And uh, just, I mean, I can go on and on with the amount of things that we've had happen up there. Well, you you recorded. It was Julie was talking about, uh, you know, something that sounded like gorilla primate chest flapping. Um, you, oh yeah. You recorded something like that up in in Washington, and I, I mean, there's there's a couple of times that I've heard some audio that you know my jaw dropped. The one was in the Tillamook uh, forest. The one that where where the the rock was tossed in the camp and hit Larry's uh, wheel or tailpipe. 
we yeah. and and on the recording, which ended up being that uh, I I ended up erasing it in my uh, infinite wisdom at the time uh, by by dinking around, not knowing what I was doing with my recorder at the time. But it that, that it sounded like, and that was like I mean what by it's like those head you know you do a double take, and like and the other one was that that chest slapping uh, that that you recorded up in, in the Olympics. Very yeah. uh, weird. Very of course, weird. The, you know, and, and uh, also the get, weird percussive sound that we had in Tillman. Those those three, for sure. Yeah. And the rock. Yeah, I mean, and the rock. I mean, there's just many recordings, you know, and, and the cool thing about these many of these recordings is that we were actually physically out there. A lot of times we didn't hear these recordings, like the chest slap. I had recorded up there in the Olympics. I, I did a re- kind of remote uh, backpacking trip out with another individual, and we were camping in a spot that um, had um, some, re- you know, for us, the Olympic Project had some recent uh, weird activity going on, including a possible sighting. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go up there and camp. You know, I want to see, you know, if I can record something at night and maybe flare something. Well, I didn't flare anything. It wasn't until we went out to bed many hours later and around, you know, that infamous 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock morning hour, um, not hearing this in person, but recording it, did I hear, you know, on the recorder, uh, some, some uh, a knock, some twigs break, and then this very, I mean, just very, uh, very gorilla-like chest slap. And my mind went, woo, you know, whoa, what the heck? And um, I sent it to David Ellis, and he he looked at it visually, uh, compared it to a gorilla chest slap. And the signatures are so close; they're off a little bit, but they're so close. The visual signatures are so close. My jaw hit the floor. I was like, wow. And he had other recordings uh, that he had recorded and had been sent to him that were very similar. And we roll out everything. I mean, we went, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but elk can make all, you know, all sorts of weird, funky noises. Here's a weird one for you. And, and I've ruled this out. But when an elk, and it, it wasn't wet this night, it was dry. But when an elk is wet and it shakes, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and <laughs> this will sound a little funny, but. It's butt cheeks when they slap together. They almost make a, um, a slapping sound, you know, as well as when they're shaking their coat, just like a bear, you know, when it shakes its coat when it's wet or whatnot. It'll make a, you know, like a dog, like not even <laughs> comparable visually speaking. Uh, it, completely different, you know. It wasn't a bird or an owl slapping its wings together. Completely different signature. This was very uh, gorilla-like. And given the knock and everything that also went into that for context. You know, I have to go. Hmm. This is this is interesting, and this is an area that had um, some odd happenings for the for like a week or so, and that's why I decided to camp up in that area. Unfortunately, you know, I didn't see anything, I didn't find anything, uh, I didn't therm anything. But um, you know, when I went to bed, you know, uh, got that really interesting recording, and that's an area that I'd like to camp in because there's a long-standing history with the Olympic Project odd occurrences in this area, and so. Uh, you know, uh, we do our due diligence in trying to rule everything out, and you know, at the end day, you know, without seeing what made it, you just put it in the interesting pile. But we have loads of stuff like that uh, from the Olympics, including some, you know, possible uh, flare footage of, of something uh, bipedal that's of interest. One of the other interesting things that happens up on this piece of property is uh, there's a, a building on the property that uh, occasionally gets knocked on or slapped something will come up and smack the side of the building it's happened at least three times four including the time that happened to james million which i I think we discussed on the show but it something will come up and smack the side of the building where people happen to be sleeping 
whether you hear someone snoring or not, something's coming up and smacking the building. And that's happened up there a number of times. Uh, you know, and so uh, it's another interesting thing that happens up there. Yeah. Well, I yeah, and that's one of the um, if if you know James Million, <laughs> his uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the that his story is is hilarious, and we'll have to save it for another time because we're we've run up against the clock. These uh, yeah, talk it's fun because these kind of shows for me is like is awesome to you know because we're just talking about Bigfoot. And uh, it's it's about what happened, you know. If you go out and spend enough time in the woods, in in areas that have a history of of Bigfoot sightings and and activity, um, and pay attention, you know, uh, we love we love audio surveillance because it's so passive, and you can you know leave your recorder up, and it catches so much stuff that you may not uh, catch like when you're sleeping or whatever, but uh, Shane, I think I think uh, we're we're out of time today, but I think we have enough uh, stuff to do another couple more of these shows at some point in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. We could definitely uh, fill many more hours of of experiences and and possible encounters and just uh, uh, past reports that we've investigated for sure. So everybody, thanks for uh, listening to this episode of Monster X Radio, and uh, we appreciate your support. Again, if you uh, want to check out exclusive, you can go to our website, wmonsterxradio.com. Um, and don't forget to go check out uh, Sasquatch Coffee's Kickstarter campaign. Um, we're trying to – it, we titled it uh, Delicious Coffee Should Not Be ex- Elusive. Excuse me, not exclusive either, but elusive. So you can check it out on Kickstarter and uh, support it if it's – something that uh, interests you. Uh, I'd like to thank my friend uh, friends Shane Corson and Julie Wrench for joining me today here on Monster X Radio. And until next time, uh, keep it squatchy. Have a great week. Radio.